Hello and welcome to Life Changes You. I'm Daniel. I hope you've had a great week. Had lots of great guests on. It's a new year. Lots of things are happening. And uh, hopefully wherever you are in the world, you're having a really good day. And uh, you've enjoyed the last couple of weeks of podcasts. Remember, now you can listen to me or see me on Instagram Live on uh, Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Australian time and at the moment 9 a.m. UK time. Oh, I'm getting a bit stumbled. Anyway, look, today I have someone who I've met on Instagram and we've chatted backwards and forwards. And I said, look, I want you to come on and do a podcast. And we've been trying to get together a time when we could do it. So I'd like to introduce you to Lisa Towers, who is the anxiety advocate. So hello, Lisa. How are you? Hi. I'm great. Thank you so much for obviously inviting me on here. I love your page. I love your work. And yeah, it's an honor. It's early here quarter past nine in the morning but yeah good to go and and look here it's uh quarter past eight at night because me being in australia you being in the uk it's uh it's amazing that we can have something like zoom where i can actually see you while i'm talking to you which i guess a few years ago we would have been just on the phone and being a counselor and you being anxiety and doing all that sort of stuff too it's good when you can see the body language and be able to see the person you're talking to Definitely. And I just, you know, it, it never stops amazing me. You know, the times where a lot of the battle with anxiety I had was pre-internet. Yeah. And I kind of sometimes think, God, how did I do it? How did I do it? So now having this sort of, um, well, this technology where you can contact and reach out to people immediately from all over the world, yeah. So it's like 24-7. There's always someone awake that you can talk yeah. to. And it's, yeah, brilliant. I love it. I don't know how long Zoom's been around. And I only discovered Zoom uh, at the beginning of COVID when we had to do some online programs for uh, participants here with disability. Um, and now I, I can't imagine having a podcast where I didn't use Zoom because before Zoom, I was actually talking to people in a studio or in a sound studio recording them. So it was yeah. people who were close by, and now I'm talking to people everywhere. It's amazing. It's amazing. And some of the podcasts now, like yours, you know, I watched the one you did. Um, I know I watched the live you did yesterday. It's just there's such a diverse conversation because it's coming from different areas all over the world, and it's not just like, the British opinion or the Australian opinion and the conversations flow and it's just, I just love it. And I I really, you know, I'm grateful that I'm out there putting my story out there because if it just helps one person, it's worth it. And I'm just thankful for whoever it was. I don't, I can't remember who invented the internet to give this, this platform where we can reach out to people and be seen and be heard and be supportive. What I've found from doing the podcast for the last two and a half years is that there's a lot of topics that people come to me with, like, oh, can I talk about this or that? And one of them was this guy, Connor, who talked about um, anorexia as a male when he was 12. 
And the feedback after that was, wow, I've never heard the side of a man talking about having anorexia. I only hear about women. And so that's the great thing about podcasts, lives on Instagram reels, is that we can actually connect with people who, you know, that guy Connor, there could be a couple of guys whose mum hears the podcast or auntie hears and says, hey, actually, I see what you're going through and have a listen to this podcast because this guy will tell you what he went through. And, you know, before that, we we didn't have that option. We could Google things and read about them. But to actually hear someone's story talking about what they went through, how they got through it, he spoke about how his mum and dad felt guilty about it. And, you know, there's so many different things that you don't even think about when someone says, I was a young male with anorexia, you know. So it's great that we can have these forums where people can talk, send emails, send messages, get involved in Instagram Live, where we can all be a community and help each other and pass on all this information that we're learning. I think it's um, it offers an intimacy that books and sort of um, articles don't offer. And the most powerful part, I think, is the validation that people get because when you are like, especially with anxiety, it's such an isolating, I don't like calling it an illness, experience, because you feel like you're the only person in, in the world that's going through it. Yeah. So this kind of openness that, that the internet does offer brings validation to what people are, are feeling. And that is powerful. It, I mean, it was for me, knowing that, I'm not the only person having thoughts like this, or I'm not the only person feeling like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it it kind of it takes a sting out of it a little bit, which is which is a good thing. Well, as you say, to feel that you can find other people in your same position and actually talk to them, because I guess growing up, I mean, I grew up in England as well in the seventies. Um, and then yeah. we moved here to Australia. And I remember growing up in a, a street where you, well, we had an auntie and uncle two doors down and then we had all the neighbours, but you knew all the neighbours. And that was yeah. sort of like your little group that you knew. You knew other people outside of that, but they were the people who looked after you when you were sick, when you were young, and you looked after the old people in the street. And we've sort of moved away from that. Um, and we've lost that sense of community to some degree. I think so, yeah. Then with things like anxiety and depression, you can go and see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, counsellor, any of those people, and they can tell you what they've learned about it. I mean, some of them might have lived experience, but there's nothing like actually speaking to someone else who's going through what you're going through. No. I, I mean, the guidance that you can get from psychotherapists and psychologists is brilliant. But the inspiration, motivation and empowerment you can get from speaking to someone else who has actually lived it and gone through it, it's just like a gift. It's, it's so, I remember pre-internet, um, no, no one else had it as far as I was concerned because mm. no one spoke about it. So I hid it, yeah. which weighs even more. Um, on top of everything else that you're going through. And you've got this, it kind of, I don't know, it's like a breeding ground of shame. You feel ashamed. Yeah. Where now it's, it's very rare that you can put something on the internet and people say, oh my God, I've, I experienced that. I went through that. And yeah, again, validating that you're not crazy or you're not, yeah abnormal 
So do you want to go back and just tell us a bit about when your anxiety started and, you know, how how it sort of came yeah. about? Since um, while I've recovered, I've sort of noticed, I was thinking actually last night, noticing when I was a kid things that might have been contributing yeah. to the actual. But um, I was uh, 25. Right. When I first had my first anxiety attack. Before that, I was I grew up in Wales. Um, I was really um wanting to make something in my life and I was heavily into the fashion world and and sort of hair, especially. Yeah. Um and so the first opportunity I got, I went to London, uh, worked for a, re- a really top hairdressing company and was doing really, really well. And then I I moved to Spain, lived there. And life took a turn for the worst. It kind of exposed me to domestic violence and and stuff like that. So I was back in the UK and at 25, I'd been obviously going through some really stressful stuff. Yeah. Um, But I didn't know about stress. I thought, you know, it's just this is how life is and you just carry on. So drinking to relax and all that nonsense and then I was on a bus and I just felt like my world had ended the fear just came out of nowhere wow and it was really funny because I got to work and um, people getting me hot towels and saying oh it's your blood sugar levels no one else knew what was happening to me I didn't know yeah um and it just increasingly got worse I thought maybe it was my blood sugar levels, but then it started happening every day. It started impacting my um, sleep and everything. And then there was this fear that I just can't move. I couldn't move. It was, I actually thought, wow, this is what it feels like to lose your mind. And I'm going to be one of those people that's going to be carted off into a padded cell and, and this is the end of my life. Wow. Yeah, because I have no idea. I didn't know anything about emotional well-being. I didn't know anything about anxiety. Yeah. So I got to um, my parents were in London at the time, and they, my father, drove to Wales to get me, and I went there. I stayed there for eight months. He took me to a psychologist. They paid for it then because the, I, I don't know. I don't think back then that there was an awful lot of resource for mental health yeah um in the nhs and i know there's not an awful lot now but so anyway i was diagnosed with clinical depression and an anxiety disorder yeah i had no i I think i knew about depression i think i'd heard somewhere about that but i i had no idea what anxiety was yeah and it was that diagnosis that was at the, it was in one part it was so good to know what was happening yeah but in the other part here the prognosis was here's antidepressant and here's i can't even say it antidepressants yeah you'll have this for the rest of your life yeah. stay on the pills and you'll be fine and i'll see you once a month so i left that uh clinic thinking wow i'm now um a sick person yeah. I have got this 
disease. I don't even know what it was. Yeah. And I'll have it for the rest of my life because the doctor told me that. So I took that identity and I became yeah. Lisa with anxiety. Yeah. Which now I think if I hadn't labeled myself or been labeled and given a prognosis that was actually you can you can heal from this. Yeah. You can recover from this. This is something you're experiencing rather than this is what you've had. Yeah. yeah. It might have been completely different. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and we were saying that, yeah, with, with labeling, it, it's almost like then it becomes part of you, doesn't it? And it's your identity yeah. and you identify as Lisa with anxiety. Whereas, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess you want the diagnosis and probably nowadays there is more possibility that if someone said to you, you've got anxiety, they'd say, but we can work through this. Um, but Absolutely. It wasn't an option. And, and I, I usually say to people when they say, oh, you know, someone wants to put me on medication because of my anxiety. My thoughts are, and these are my personal thoughts, is I say to them, if you go on an anti-anxiety medication and say you're on it for three months, six months, 12 months, it actually gives you and your body chance to slow down a bit while you do talk therapy with a psychologist, counsellor, yeah. advocate, yeah. anything like that, because at the moment your brain is racing so fast that if you just slow it down a little bit and start doing that talk therapy, you're going to find that you recover or get better a lot quicker and you'll learn all those things to help you deal with it. But if you just go for the tablets, you're never going to get anything because as soon no. as you go, I want to stop these tablets, you're still in the position you were in when you started taking them. Spot on. And, and, and that's exactly what happened to me. So I actually, so I took the medication and it gave me the breathing space yeah. to feel better. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that breathing space. So there was no therapy. There was no shit. I need to look at my um, limiting beliefs. I need to yeah. process what I've been through. Yeah. It was none of that. It was just, me continuing to live how I'd lived before the anxiety came. Obviously, there was no coping strategy. There was no coping, and there was no processing what I'd been yeah. through. I'd, I mean, I'd been in a in a hostile relationship, and I'd had lost my son to his father taking him and taking him back to Spain. Wow! At the age of three. So that is a massive that is emotional, traumatic. I had no idea. I yeah. just thought um, it was awful to live through when I got him back when he was eight. But yeah. um, I have no idea what it, this was actually doing to me. Um, and the diagnosis was not. It was, yes, I was going through anxiety, and but I needed to process that and that none of that was offered to me. And it was actually an amazing person who's from Australia, Dr. Claire Weeks. I came across her book and it just changed my life. It's wow. the first time I heard that you could heal and that this isn't a life sentence. Yeah. So like I said, yeah, I got my diagnosis, I got my prognosis and off I went taking the pills and doing absolutely nothing yeah. to, to heal. You just said before that your son was taken off you when you were when he was three and you got him back by eight. But having that feeling of being the age you are and your son disappears, you don't know where he's gone, you don't know if he's ever coming back. 
I mean, that is a major trauma, which, you know, how we look at that scale of the most traumatic things in your life, one to 100 or one to 10. I can't remember how long it is. But I would say that that would be up in the top five, you know, because you're having anxiety, but then you've also got this in your head. Well, will I ever see him again? Where's he gone? You know, so to then be diagnosed with um, anxiety, I mean, that's a major hurdle. I knew where he was, but it was totally controlled by his father. So it was, I think it was, this is really hard for me to say, but um, it seemed okay and acceptable to everyone else, like family members and stuff was, oh, he's better off with his father. Um, you can't, was that because you, know, you, can't, you had the you anxiety? Can't even, yeah, and Spain's much nicer to bring up kids. And, and it was kind of like, hang on, I mean, I'm his mum, I'm his mum. Yeah, And there was no, there was, you're better off now concentrate on getting well and concentrate on being, I don't know, it, it was just, the support wasn't there. The support was there that, you know, I'll put a roof over your head and I'll walk, I'll take you for a walk around Richmond Park, but there was no recognition, there was no sort of belief that what I'd been through was true. Right. There was no sort of shock. Yeah. That wow, is this really happening? And it was it was very I think a lot of my low self-esteem was born through that experience. Yeah. And then the comments of, oh, I'd never let that happen to me with my children. And I'm thinking, but how how I didn't choose for it to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was um so yeah, it was a very dark and difficult time and I remember years later um a doctor psychologist said to me after they'd read my file and, and chatted to me Lisa if I'd have been through what you've been through and come out of it with just anxiety I think you're lucky yeah because it could have been much worse and it's that kind of validation that I missed for so many years yeah and it meant so much. And then I was interviewed actually not long ago. Um, it was probably about a year, two years ago. And the guy who interviewed me when I told the story is actually based on what I went through. He and I said, oh, and I had a breakdown. And he said, actually, I'd argue you were broken down, yeah. not had a breakdown. And that was like, I said to him, you're the first person to ever sort of validate yeah what I went through and it was so powerful so yeah it's um and I don't like you know it is what it is that part of my life happened and it was the birth of my um battle with anxiety but I had to turn I had to turn those negatives into something positive well done to you to get to where you are now because Thank you. you know when someone said to you uh, when they said to you, oh, well, I would never let that happen to my son. For one, they've never been in your position. And for mm -hmm. two, it's where is the support in that? Because by saying that, they're even making you feel worse because then you go, oh, my God, mm -hmm. well, I let that happen. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't let that happen. It happened. You had anxiety. You had depression. You were trying to get yourself back together. And it's easy for me to say because we learn all this as we're learning about psychology and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah. 
some people don't often put the thought into their head of, wow, actually, this is going to be a powerful statement, which will make Lisa feel a lot worse. They just say yeah, it yeah. without actually yeah. thinking about what that, yeah. that statement is. And, and that could have been something that broke you down even further because you're like, mm-hmm. my God, I must be bad because look at what I've done. And it's not mm-hmm. what you've done. It's Absolutely. It's happened to you. So that's over here. And if you had the choice, it would have never happened. Absolutely. And yeah. I think what feeds that, and it still happens today, is the society's definition of normal. So anything that doesn't look normal yeah. is frowned upon or quizzed or um, mocked. And so it isn't normal that your son gets basically taken from you and by his father. And so people don't know how to deal with that so the first thing they do is criticize or defend them so well like that never happened to me and you know it's all really unhelpful to whoever's going through it but again it's society I think it's society it's like that if you suffer with anxiety it's I worked for the home office for like 25 years and although we put out there that we support people with their mental health we would do all the national days and, you know, look yeah, at us. We're, we're, and then we'd go into a room the next day and have a list of all the people who were off sick with um, stress-related illness, anxiety, depression, which was the top of the list and yeah. huge. And it would be a conversation about how are we going to manage these people out? Yes. And which really went, I mean, at the end, I ended up leaving because for the sake of my mental health but you know we are raising awareness and trying to make things more well in parity with physical health but there's that stigma and i think you've just said it so perfectly is that i think a lot of businesses would go along with what happened in your business that yeah 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 here we are we're supporting mental health blah 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 blah. but then i would think if someone came if you had five people turn up for a job you had two with anxiety and three that didn't those two with anxiety are going to be pushed to the bottom of the pile because we don't really want to have to deal with that and it's they wouldn't admit it yeah they They won't admit admit it it. but but they'll they'll know that they're not the ones they're gonna employ and i think the same goes for you know racism different colors of skin yeah um, sexuality you know you might say oh we we support hiring gay and lesbian people but somewhere in there there might be someone who goes actually i don't think we want to deal with their issues let's just have this person and you know that's what we need to change is it's great to have the fanfare and banners going oh we do all this but underneath it we need to make sure that those people are actually doing as they they say yeah i spoke to someone recently about the police force and i think it was in the late 80s and they said look they all started that they were going to have gay and lesbian people black and white everyone but you knew underneath that there was an undertone of we're not taking those people on, but we've got to look as though we are. We've got to look as though we're doing our part. And that's where we need to swap things around because things like that then increase anxiety in people because if you're a gay person going for a job, you, you might yeah, have a little bit of anxiety about, oh, you know, will they be homophobic? So if we can change all that sort of dynamic, then it makes everybody's anxiety go down. It's really... I mean, for example, if you look at the civil service in the UK, the board of directors, the majority of them are white middle class males from Eton. Yeah. Why? 
Yeah. You know, and it's just, I don't know. For me, it was the culture that there are good people in there who want to make a difference and they are kind of allowed to do it. I was one of them. Um, I got a medal from the Queen for actually, for some of the work that I did that changed, I say now, and I hate saying it, on the surface, um, changed attitudes towards mental health within the government across the UK. Yeah. Um, and we did things like got wellbeing rooms set up instead of the toilets and, you know, all that. Yeah, kind yeah. of stuff to support people. Yeah. But when I went off ill the last time, no one, no one contacted me. In fact, the only um, message I got was um, a letter saying when you, um, when you get back, no, not when you get back, we're going to have a performance meeting, you know, which is, it, it, it makes you feel like all the work you've done was for nothing. And also it makes you feel as though you're not worthy of your job because they're going to do a performance review and you've been doing all this work to increase mental health awareness and then you're not even back at work and they're letting you know they're going to do a performance review, which for anyone is going to increase your anxiety. Yeah. And I always said that the sickness policies that were in place are not fit for purpose when you're dealing with people who are suffering with with mental health you can't treat them the same as someone who's off with a broken leg or someone's off with like a a virus it's totally different but they it's just cultures and it's not just the civil service i mean this is across and it's not just the uk is it no no no. it's everywhere so this is what kind of um pushed me to do simply anxious because i thought i made a difference in the UK at, at a time um, yeah. within certain work environments. And I want to push further. I want to, I want to reach individuals who may be feeling, you know, isolated. And so. Um, and can I yeah, say here, that that's why I wanted to speak to you because uh, I've said before in the podcast, I might've even said it before earlier in this one. I, I think that, anyone who's got lived experience with mental health is pretty much on a par with someone who's a psychologist, psychiatrist, because psychologists and psychiatrists can learn everything there is to know about anxiety. But if they've never had anxiety, they are coming it from a textbook way. Whereas someone who's lived it can be compassionate and empathetic and understand and be on a parallel thought process with someone who's going through what they're going through. So say like you meet someone who's got anxiety, they're new to it. You can explain anxiety to them better than anyone because you've lived it. And that's where we are our own specialists because anyone who's lived through mental health issues. And as I think I said to you before we started uh, with fibromyalgia, you know, I had brain fog, couldn't get off the couch, was exhausted. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're all things that then when someone else comes to you with fibro and they can be completely different to how my fibro is, but I can explain to them what I went through and how hard it was in the beginning and little ways that I changed it around. And, 
you know, a fibromyalgia doctor, they are as rare as hen's teeth, a specialist yeah. who actually understands what's wrong with you. So, you know, when I used to go and see this uh, specialist and I said, look, when I get in a shower, it feels like hundreds of pins hitting my body. And he go, oh, really? I've never heard that before. And I go, well, that's how it feels. And he goes, oh, so, do you know, how long has it been? And I go, a month? Well, for me, it lasted about six to 12 months. Then it went away. And then when I told him it went away, he went, oh, you're so lucky then. I've heard of other people who have the same thing. Well, if you've heard of other people and I've told you, then you should be able to relay that. Look, I know other people who have had exactly your experience and then we can all learn from that and work through it but when you're the only one who's experiencing it it's really hard to find anyone that you can actually well that you don't actually feel like you're just being stupid to like you say or recognize it yes because I remember there was people who had fibro in in who I worked with and the struggles they had of uh, of it's like they had to justify why? Oh, oh, because no one believed them. Yeah. People, and it's conversations about anxiety. It's like, yeah, but they're just pulling their wool, We're pulling the wool over our eyes. Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. What has Lisa got to be? Like, she's a senior manager. She's da da da. What has she got to be anxious about? And you're it's right. not about that. No, <laughs> it's and, not and about it's, that. It's because they can't see it, so they can't gauge what people are going through. And as you said before, if you've got a broken leg, different compassion because you go, oh, you've got a broken leg. Oh, you poor thing, you can't get around. Yeah. If you say, oh, I've got depression, I can't get out of bed, I feel shit, they go, oh, okay. Well, I guess part of it is they don't understand it and the other part of it is they think, oh, that person just wants a week off, you know. And there might be people out there who say it mm. to have a week off, but there are more people out there that are genuine than there are for that handful of people who are trying to get a week off. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just think it's, you know, we're human. We're missing something here. We're missing the fact that we are human beings. And actually the more, I didn't actually realize how stressful that environment was for me until I left. And we're just not built for this kind of overload every day that we, that we get. Yeah. Um, our brains can't, you know, they they just they're trying to deal with it. Yeah. With the everyday stuff, with the new stuff, with the past stuff that we haven't processed with. You know, we've got this amazing ability where we can daydream, we can imagine into the future. But if that imagine or that daydreaming is full of fear, then that is like another tongue on yeah, top yeah. of everything else that's going through our heads. And one thing that really stands out is the lack of preventative measures in place, especially in a, in employment environments yeah. that will prevent staff from reaching burnout. It's, I mean, I know it's a huge, it's a huge kind of worms, but it's, I think we're waking up. I think we're waking up to this. In one way with COVID, it gave us, the foresight, well, not foresight, it gave us the the reason to look at people and realise that, you know, a lot of us have been struggling to get along. And with COVID, with people losing jobs, even if you didn't lose your job, but you lost your work for three months and you, yeah, you, know, yeah. you, you got a payment, but it wasn't as much as what you earned, it then compounded that anxiety that you had before because you might have bought the house that's slightly bigger than what you could afford, 
um, and you're only just about covering it and all of a sudden you've lost £100, $200 a week. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, my God, how am I going to pay this? Oh, well, you can put your mortgage on hold, but the interest is still going on. So there's all these other little factors that you've got to think about that then cause people to rethink. And I think we're going to see some people start to downsize in what they've got, houses, cars, or not spend as much money because they're going to be more worried or concerned that this could happen again. I mean, who would have thought we would have gone through COVID? Uh, I would never have thought in a million years. And I would have never expected us to be locked down and not be able to go anywhere. No. So we've all lived through this really weird experience and uh, we've all suffered some sort of anxiety or depression or mental health issues. And for those who have made it through, we're very lucky. Um, and yeah. now it's time for us all to turn to other people and say, how can I help you? You know, is there anything I can do? And I don't mean that you've got to go and take them to appointments and stuff like that, but maybe check in with a few people and have a coffee with them once a week. Give yeah, them a yeah. call once a week, 10 minutes. Yeah. Hey, how are you? How are you coping? Is everything okay? What can I do? Can we catch up and have a walk together? You know, anything that is just that human connection, which I think we've lost. And I mean, yeah. like I said before, Zoom is I brilliant, so. but it's still not the same as if you and I were sitting in the same room talking because then you've got that human connection. You can reach out and touch the person and go, oh, look, yep, this, that. Um, And I think a lot of people have lived like this. And I also feel a bit like since lockdown, have we lost a bit of our courtesy? And I'm not saying everybody, but there's people out there now that aren't being courteous to people in shops. Oh, you've run out of toilet paper. I hate you. You know, look, we've all been through the same thing. It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. It's not there. We're all sick. We've all, or we've been sick or we're going to be sick. You know, so we all need to have that little bit extra compassion and empathy towards everybody. Even if it's someone that yells at you, don't start yelling back. Just go, hey, look, I'm sorry if I did a mistake, if I pull mm-hmm. out in front of you, you know, nothing bad happened. So can we just get on? For me, the pandemic, yeah, was awful. I, I lost my dad in March 2020 and I couldn't see my mum who's got dementia. She's in the care home because of the lockdown, obviously. Yeah. And so there was a lot of shit <laughs> and there was for a lot of people, but also it, I learned, like you said, I, the simple things became so important, Yeah, you know, because it was the simple things, actually, that a lot of us were, were taken away from us. Yeah. You know, the things like you can just do that, do this. And so I downgraded my life. I've, I, I've um, sort of simplified it got rid of loads of stuff and and seeing my parents house when dad had passed and mum was in the home and I I had to sell their house and and all this stuff and this big house and why they don't know why you know yeah. when they could have done more with it yeah with, with what they did although they had a good life yeah it just made me think it just makes you face things i think the pandemic and another thing is yes mental health maybe went up because of the pandemic but i think there was an epidemic before the pandemic oh definitely i mean look and i just think it was just ignored and this it was only brought to light through the pandemic 
Like you um, were saying before about um, the mental health service in the UK, and look, I've watched a few shows. I've watched. Uh, I'm in Australia, obviously, but I've watched things yeah. like I watch Panorama, um, and you know, you, you hear of people waiting three to six months to do some CBT with someone on the phone, not even in real life, and then it could be twelve months, eighteen months before they can actually sit face to face with a psychologist, and then after that, it could be three to six months before you can get a second appointment. You know, yeah. and here it seems to be that unless you are at a real crisis point where you're threatening to harm yourself or you're threatening to harm others, you're going to go further and further down the line. We've got, exactly. uh, I think it's called Headspace here, which is for 14 to 25 year olds. And unless you are one of those people, if you say, oh, I've got anxiety or depression, and it's a free service, but you're not important enough because no. they need to deal with other and you can understand. they haven't got the resources no and, yeah. and look we can put more and more money into it but we need to actually look at how we can change the mental health plan mm. for everybody because it's obviously not working and i i was that person i was the person where maybe um suicide did come into my head because i knew there was an 18 month waiting list to see a therapist and I knew the therapist would not be an expert because on the NHS I don't think a lot of the therapists who are experts go private yeah and they charge a lot of money um and then the ones you get on the NHS you know bless them but they haven't the amount I've seen who said to me Lisa you know more than I do yeah basically this is why I think promoting self-help as well yeah. because I think I learned more from like I said Dr Claire Weeks and and a peer support group of of women from all over the world we were all going through this anxiety disorder together yeah. um and we healed and recovered together if you like yeah. even though we weren't physically next to each other yeah because there isn't so unless you've got money and like in America, um, a lot of the insurance companies won't pay for it either, yeah. therapy. So, you know, we've got to recognise that, well, I don't know, we've got to recognise that there's not everyone's loaded and can, and it shouldn't be a privilege. It shouldn't be a privilege. No, because your um, mental health. So I don't know is- what the answer is. I really don't know what the answer is. And I'm hoping like people like me who are, sharing how they recovered and what helped them yeah can help and inspire other people to maybe do the same rather than sit thinking i can't you know i'm i'm stuck forever because you know what you're doing is a free resource like what i do with the podcast that it might be something that someone listens to and says okay well that helped me a bit in the meantime, while they're waiting to be able to see a therapist. And there's loads of us yeah, out yeah. there that are doing this sort of thing. I was talking to a guy, Lorenzo, in America late last year, and he was saying that in Chicago, um, there's like it's like it's not the main hospital system, but then there's like little, uh, I guess, like councils, you know, like your local council, they will put money aside for certain people to be able to have free free therapy. Oh, that's good. And he was saying it's really hard to get into, 
but they are offering those sort of things. And he said, you know, when we start doing things like that, it's more the community is being involved to help someone else who's got a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. And that's a really good idea. And I know I've got a couple of friends here who are psychologists and they do say a morning a week where people yeah. who have no money or are on pensions can go in and have a free session and they might have to wait two or three weeks to come back again, but then they can have another session. So there are people out there that are qualified who are doing this sort of thing. There's people like us mm. who are qualified through experience and learning that we can offer that help too. Yeah. And there are some really amazing um who who I would say at their psychologists and who and psychotherapists who are putting out information that is really helpful. Yeah. Um and this platform's allowing them to do that. And I love I love that. You're always going to get the ones who are in it for the money, but that's like with everything. Yeah. But I just feel that, you know, knowing for me, knowing that I could heal and I could recover. And I could be part of a group where other people were doing the same thing was really, really powerful. And then I would use, you know, so recovering from anxiety, I did myself. Yeah. Dr. Claire Weeks and, like I said, this peer support group. But I'm still working on self-esteem and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I go to like an integrated, holistic therapist who is yeah. qualified yeah, yeah um because i i find that i find the peeling back of the the sort of self-limiting beliefs and the emotional deep-rooted scars yeah is a lot more work than actually overcoming my fear of anxiety look I tell you- i'm just sharing sharing my my story basically yeah look for me uh doing my diploma in counseling was the biggest turnaround in my head of realizing who I was, how important what I I thought was and how good it was to learn something new, which reflected back on me and taught me so much about myself. And, you know, when I started my diploma, it was when I had just been through 12 months of fibromyalgia. So I had never had the time to do the counseling diploma and I wanted to do it. So I started it when I went back to work part-time and it was life-changing for me because it made me see things in completely different ways. I had black and white thinking and someone said to me, do you realize how many shades of gray are between black and white? And then I went, Oh, actually there's millions, isn't it? Um, So (laughs) for me, that was my biggest learning experience in life. And I think until the day we die, we're always going to be working on ourselves in some way. Absolutely. And we're always going to have those aha moments where we go, Oh, I actually didn't know I could do this or I didn't think I could do this or, you know what I mean? One of the le- things I learned, which was really great, was you can become so busy trying to get to that destination that you actually miss what's happening now and yeah. the opportunities and the life and the loveliness. And the yes, life is up and down, but there isn't a destination. It's now. It's yeah. now. So that was really powerful. To And to those kind of- people who are in such a hurry to get from here to here, um here is great like i've been doing the podcast now two years and i'm starting to gain some traction i'm getting loads of good guests on like yourself and it's really i love it um but when i started two years ago i was sort of thinking oh i can't wait until i've got loads of followers and loads of people listening and but i've learned through the last two years that my 
conversation skills with guests has improved immeasurably by just doing all those different conversations. And yeah. I used to have anxiety, like before I'd come on and do a podcast, start recording, yeah. I'd be like, oh, my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And now I just like I'd, I'd been out at work. I rushed in the door five minutes before we talked, turned it on, and I was ready to go, <laughs> you know. So yeah. all those little and it's great and have made me what I am now to be able to do the podcast. Absolutely. And yet, God, you sound like a pro, you know, you're really the way you flow, your conversation and stuff. But I know exactly what you mean. I remember when I first did my first live, I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this because I wasn't focusing on what I was doing. I was focusing on what I was thinking, which was yeah. you're too old to do this. Yeah. You're not glamorous. You're not this. You're not that. Why people aren't going to be. And of course, when you're focusing on all that nonsense, you're going to feel crap. Yeah. But um, I always say that just do it, do things, because the more you do it, the more you become desensitized to it and your true self starts to shine out. And your um, self-esteem and that, goes up, your self-confidence goes up. Because absolutely. you realize that you are able to do all these things that in your head you've been saying, you can't do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'm... Um, you know, I feel good, even though I get trolled and stuff like that. I know this is right. I know this is, I, my story wasn't going to end by me taking my life. Um, yeah. That was the turning point. And, um, and since then, you know, I've had painful moments. I've had moments of really feeling happy and content, but I just, I feel like life, can happen for you organically like followers can happen for you organically yeah, yeah. or falling in love can happen for you if you go with the organic way yeah. it's going to be so much better than forcing anything if we plan force things if we plan too much there's no chance for i guess uh growth in ways we didn't know because we can yeah. plan our whole life out what we're going to do but then if something goes wrong, we're going to go, oh, my God, what happened there? And like Absolutely. I said to you before we started, I had your name and your handle from Instagram on my page, nothing else, um, because, you know, I, I've when I started, I did have questions here and there, and I just felt like listening back to it, it sounded like I was ask, answer, answering, asking questions. And then when people yeah. answer the question, it's like they feel as though they've just got to fill that little gap for the answer. Um, like an interview. <laughs> yes, but when we're just talking like this, as a listener, you're going to be more engaged because you hear that the people are just bouncing off each other, the ideas are coming. And, you know, sometimes I've spoken to people and we've been in the middle of a conversation and we've both stopped and I've paused the podcast and we've gone, my God, what did we just create there? And it was like this thought that, <laughs> you know, amazing. just happened. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And conversation is, you know, just great. If it's used properly. Yeah. Now, I should Which ask you your about case. your book mm. because you've written a book. My and book. It's coming out or it is out. I don't know when this, no, when this it's podcast coming out is this month. It's coming out this month. And um, it's a book. It's not a story. It's not my life story. It's called Simply Anxious Notes on Anxiety Recovery. And that's exactly what it is. The notes of my recovery, the things that helped me, the things that didn't. And it's, it's basically to try and inspire and motivate people and give them hope because yeah. there's always hope, you know, you've got to keep hold of that. Yeah. And 
people who follow me because there's going to be a section with some of the some of my posts that I've done some of the yeah. best posts in it and um so they've got like a book yeah for me because I'm a bit I'm a big fan of that I mean I've got Dr Claire Week's book here which is all chewed and scribbled on and I've had it for years and years and years and I I don't know there's something nice about a book so that's why I thought I'd uh, I'd do one and I hopefully it'll be by the end of this month definitely and look I think what you just said there about your book is like I guess bullet points and uh, things that have worked for you. That's a great thing because if it's someone who doesn't want to go to a counsellor, doesn't feel comfortable going or opening up, they can buy your book and they can read through it and get some ideas and suggestions. Yeah, and they yeah. might be the ideas and, or suggestions that then lead them to go and see counsellor psychologists or it might be that your book is enough or it might uh, engage them to go and read another book. But things like what you've written are really important because it gives the person ideas and makes them realise they are not alone. And when you realise you're yeah. not alone, then you can do a lot more. It's when you're sitting there going, oh, my God, this is only me. It's only happening to me. That's when it's really hard to turn it around. But a book with suggestions and ideas and what you've been through is a great yeah. way for them to start and even open up conversations with family and friends. Absolutely. And I think, you know, anxiety is one of those things that promotes isolation. It makes you feel like you're totally isolated, that it is only you, that yep. there's something wrong with you. And I kind of, I want to, try and smash that belief away yeah. as much as possible because you know it's what you experience and yeah you do feel those things but they're not true um it's it's one of the most common i call them emotional turbulence um feelings if you like that we go through some and and we go through them when we don't suffer we have the ups and downs it's just yeah. when we're suffering they kind of linger and feel a lot heavier um but I, yeah I've learned so much that I thought god I'm not keeping this to myself I want to I want to share it with whoever it may help and inspire so that's why I did it oh and look that's so, a brilliant thing look when I was 23 I don't think I've spoken about this on the podcast but when I was 23, I was working full time. I had a record mail order business. This is before internet. Um, I was in a, an amateur theatre production and there was something else I was doing. There was four things. And I was in the middle of this uh, shopping centre and all of a sudden I was in a ball on the floor crying my eyes out, having a panic attack, had no idea yeah. what was going on. I thought I was dying. Um, and, uh, after the weekend, I went to the doctors, the doctor put me on some sedatives, which I took for about two or three weeks. Yeah. And I realized I had to cut back the amount of work I was doing because I wasn't getting enough sleep. Um, I wasn't thinking properly because all I was thinking about was all these different things I wanted to do work and stuff. And I would have loved to have had a book similar to yours because yeah, like yeah. you said with your doctor, he said, you'll be on these for the rest of your life. My doctor said, oh, look, you'll be on these for six months. There's not really much we can do, but you'll get better. <laughs> and I was like, well, how? And, you know, you take the tablet, feel a bit drowsy, you don't feel so bad, but then you lose some of how you think and, you know, you can't work as much. But for me, it was a good lesson because it made me slow down a bit. And then I was able yeah. to come off the medication and realise that I was okay again, the anxiety had dropped. 
But I, I will say that up until when I did my diploma, I would have a lot of times where I'd have mild anxiety. And it yeah. was only when I understood how anxiety worked that I was able to work through it better than people who don't understand how it works. So your book absolutely will be an opening page for people to go, ah, someone else who's been through Hopefully. what I'm starting to go through. I think it's such a shock to the system if you know nothing about it, anxiety, because it's so intense um, that automatically you're going to just jump to the worst conclusion of what's going on. So having a book, I think, is written by someone who's who's been there and jumped to the wrong conclusions, (laughs) but then um, is really helpful. And I think, like, maybe in England, the same as Australia, we are getting more au fait with uh, mental health issues, but I still think there's people in the community who would say, like, that person, you know, seeing a psychologist, something wrong with them. Your book is something that that person doesn't even need to see a psychologist. They can read through the book, get some ideas and go, okay, I know what to do, or I think I know what to do, or maybe I Mm. can try this or try that. And that's a great start. Books are wonderful because you can just buy them off the shelf, take them home. No one needs to know anything and you can work through it at your own pace. Yeah. And obviously it's not to replace professional therapy help. But these are the things that do get It can be the starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And more importantly, the validation that can take the weight off a little bit where, wow, it's not just me. That and I'm not perfect. alone. Yeah, it's not just me. Because as you said before, a couple of times, people think it's only happening to them. And when they yeah, realise yeah. that there's more people out there that this is happening to, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something you can get help with and you will get through it. Brilliant. All right, Lisa, I think that has been an absolutely brilliant podcast. Who are you on Instagram? I can't remember. Are you Simply Anxious? I am at simply underscore anxious. Yep. Simply Anxious. Um, And, yeah, I do all these silly reels and posts and stuff. So, um, yeah. Well, look, they can find you there. And if if they can't find you, they, they, they can contact me and I can give them your details. If they follow me on Instagram at life underscore changes you underscore podcast, they'll find you because if they'll see my comment or your comment, we usually do a boom to each other because we have a really good update. We do. Boom, boom. <laughs> You've got to have a boom, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really great. I've really enjoyed it. It's really? um and look, an hour's gone by, and who would have thought it was an hour? I know it, I could so spoke much to you stuff. all night. Yeah. Fam. All Thank right. you. Thank you so much. And I'm sure down the track we'll connect again and we'll do another one. Yeah. Or do or an Instagram live. live or something. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Well, that was another episode of Life Changes You. If you want to contact us, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we also have a website, lifechangesyou.com.au. So until next time, take care of each other, and thanks for listening.